What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Thirsty Thursday to you. This is coming after a tipsy Tuesday, and I hope y'all had a wasted Wednesday, but it's Thirsty Thursday today, and you know what that means. We're going to have a lovely show for you. Alongside, I have my co-host, Mr. Ray Ito. Ray, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you. Hey, we're glad you're here. We're man down right now, but I think we're going to pull some punches. We're going to do something a little different today that has never mm-hmm. been done before on a Thirsty Thursday. You know what that is, Ray? What's that? We are going to bring a non-lawn care guy on to have a conversation with. Hey, I, I'm all for that because, uh, you know, judging by our record so far, it's amazing how so we've met some people who claim to be lawn care people, but in actual practice, Matt, they're not. You know, we are equal opportunity here on the grass factor. And you know what? We still, the guest we have brought on tonight is still a grass guy. I mean, there's, there's just no doubt about it. He's a grass guy, but he's a different kind of grass guy. And I'm not talking about the marijuana grass guy. Neil, how the hell are you, sir? <laughs> Doing a wicked good from Maine there, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> We have an extra special Canadian today. He's in Maine, and as we all know, in order to get into Maine, you have to show your Canadian passport. I don't have one, hence why I've never been. But we've got Redneck Computer Geek. Everybody go check out his YouTube channel. Head on over to Redneck Computer Computer Geek and look at all the crazy redneckery he's got going on over there. And I got to say, I got to say, before in the in the show, before the show, we were talking about the difference between northern rednecks and southern rednecks. And I can tell you just by looking at his catalog of videos, the first thing that stands out in my mind is that all of his shit he's working on ends up running like it works. And I can tell you that where where I grew up and the things I was accustomed to, not a damn bit of it ran. It would it would be an initial project, and then kudzu would grow over it, and it would disappear back into the earth to be swallowed up and become part of whatever exists beneath our crust. Interesting to see how they do it a little bit different up north. I think that's why uh, the north ended up uh, winning in the Civil War, if I had to guess. It's because they'll do shit that works, and we don't. <laughs> Is that too much? Is that too controversial? I'm trying not to be controversial, but it was just. Oh, let it fly, Matt. Let it fly. (laughs) We just just had to learn how to survive without help because we get snowed in. You guys need help. We survive on our own. Yeah. So that that's what's crazy to me is the. I I mean, really, you are living in a a totally different uh, climate than anything I've ever experienced. Now, but I will say this. We've had people on from uh, uh, North Minnesota before, and I know you know they they deal with a lot of snow up there. How long are you able to see grass through the course of the year in your area? Is that eight months. Well, I guess that 
That depends on whether you're a global warming believer or hater or whatever. Um, see, when I was growing up as a kid, you actually had to make sure that you could fit your costume for Halloween over the top of your snowsuit. Um, so that was when we planned on the idea that the snowblower had to be running. And mm-hmm. you know, January was really cold. February was even worse. And then after that, you'd end up with Indian summer and it would warm up to like 50 degrees. All the snow would go away. Everybody would be like, oh, yay, spring is here. And then you'd end up with another month of snow that everybody could gripe about. And it's about the same idea nowadays, except for usually our first snow is about usually the second week or so of November. Is it, uh, like so this is, year this is, is what I kind of noticed. I've still got green grass. Like down here, I feel like everything has just moved a month. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I can remember it being super cold, you know, starting at Christmas, um, you know, through February. And now all of a sudden it's been weird the last couple of years down here. It's been, it doesn't get super cold until maybe the end of January uh, through like the first of March. And then all of a sudden it'll, it'll start to get warm again. It was it's kind of like an odd shift in it. I was talking to my wife about this the the other day, and I was like, maybe, maybe we are estimating time incorrectly. And and so with with every year that passes, right, we're losing like a day. So over the last couple of decades, you know, we've lost 30, 30 days or so, thirty six days, forty days, and and so the the time has shifted. Where you know normally, if we had been recording time correctly. This would be, uh, you know, wh- what are we right now? We're in, uh, we're in November. This would typically be October, right? We would be 30 days before. So that way, when we're in December, or, you know, it's actually November. I don't know. I was just thinking, maybe it is a global conspiracy yeah. of time mismanagement. I'm completely making that up. I don't know where I'm going with that. Explain to us why Redneck Computer Geek, how did you get that name? Uh, it's my high school nickname, actually. Um, I was known as the redneck computer geek in the high school because I would redneck stuff together while working on computers and stuff also. Um, I mean, it just, it stuck. Uh, it just was a nickname that stayed there, was given to me by the folks that I hung out with and been that way ever since. Okay. And the reason why you brought you on is because we appeal more to the redneck than we do the computer geek. Although I will go ahead. There's a reason why I asked if you were in IT. And it's because so many of the viewers tonight are also IT professionals. Of course, you've met Jay Pink, who is an IT guy by trade. Um, I am not, uh, but I play one uh, in in my personal life. I'm not good at it, but... I I do I you know I like to I like to fiddle fart around with the computer I think it's a, I think it's a lot of fun but you'll see see some people in the chat you know and there's a significant number of them that are all IT people and it's interesting how the lawn care uh, um, the, the spectrum of lawn care has recruited 
so many IT professionals to 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 get their hands dirty. You get out there and 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 step away from the monitor and enjoy that time outside. So what's interesting is that you kind of adopted that early on, if that was your nickname in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes. pretty much. I adopted it. I adopted it really early on. I mean, I've been messing around with computers since I was like eight years old. So, you know, between that and growing up in a, I mean, you know, eight years old was kind of a transitional time in my life. I was working on computers then, and we finally got rid of the outhouse. So, (laughs) 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 so yes, I was an actual honest to God raised redneck. Like, I mean, you know, I, I've I've been quoted in the local paper a couple of times because I have no issue about saying that when I was growing up, this community used to care about others and we used to Robin Hood deer. And I've I've been quoted many times in the paper as I really don't care how people eat. I've shot more deer than I've ever had tags for when I was growing up, but it was about survival. And you know, when you're a computer tech, come and get it. When you're a computer technician, it's all about rednecking that computer back together in order to get it to run one more year, so that that person that won't let go of the drawstrings on their purse can shut up and get out of your shop. I mean, rednecks and computer (laughs) geeks get along. I really don't want a new hard drive. Like, yeah, you have a 20 meg hard drive from uh, from 97. Are you sure you don't want a new hard drive? Can you just clean it up? Can you defrag it one more time? Oh, um, dude, seriously. I was dealing with all kinds of different garages and stuff around here that were running Windows 98-based diagnostic systems for doing the alignments on cars. What? Who? Yeah. I made Buku because I was the only technician willing to put up with their dummy. And (laughs) I was literally buying ancient IBM computers off of eBay, cloning their hard drives over and getting them back up and running and stuff with 98 machines during the time when Windows 10 was coming onto the market. That is weird uh yeah i i I guess uh, you know resistance listen there is a lot more in common between mississippi and maine than i ever knew this see this continues to amaze me i've i've said it on here before one of the things i i did not know growing up in the south is that i assumed everything north of the mason dixon line was new york city right i thought everything was a major (laughs) a major city and it wasn't until i was an adult that i learned like no no there are lots of rural communities. The, the majority of the United States is rural. Uh, it's there. There are far and few between New York cities. In fact, there's only one New York City. So it's it's interesting to hear these stories of familiarity, um, albeit differently, because I've never had to weather uh, a snow. Um, but you know, sometimes you got to redneck something to get it going. Real quick, there is. A question someone asked, and I'm gonna I'm gonna name drop here, and you can just tell me yay or nay whether or not you know him. And the name is Jacob Morissette. 
I think Jacob watches my videos and comments occasionally. Uh, it would oh. not shock me because I think <laughs> Jacob, J Paint, did Jacob turn us on to Redneck Computer Geek? Uh, no, actually, it was a burn and return episode, and we were talking about this. There was a headline that referenced this video. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and we and we said that we had to get him on the show. We yeah, said that that's what he sparked it. that that Neil, you had to be on our show because we also love Morse. Okay, the the better, the better. <laughs> You just wanted to come be as stupid as me. This is not <laughs> stupid. I take offense to no. that. There's nothing stupid about this. This is this is peak living right here. This is exactly what this is. All right, let me ask you, how do you go from being the redneck computer geek to uh, a, a, a modified vehicle guy? Oh, that was, that's just in the DNA. I, I grew up in a family of junkyarders. I mean, it, seriously, there's <laughs> my my family. My family had a big, ginormous junkyard we were allowed to work from. That, that's just in the DNA. I mean, as far as the lawn tractors and stuff like that are concerned, that's that's just a matter of give it a bigger engine pulley and a smaller transmission pulley and go for it. I mean, it's it's all just experimental. I mean, your average geared lawn tractor with a five or a six speed in it, if you give me 40, bu 40 bucks worth of parts in about an hour, two hours at the most, I can have it doing anywhere from 25 to 30 miles an hour. I mean, it, it's not that hard. And, it, you know. <laughs> Did it start with, with, with mowers and tractors, is it was that was that like when you were like, mm, if I'm going to take something to the next level, I'm going to start with this because I know I know you've also worked with like um, power wheels and all that fun stuff too. Did it did it start with well, mowers see, and branch out? Well, actually, the mud mower thing for me, this the mud mower stuff for me started with growing up poor, so we couldn't afford ATVs when I was growing up but we could manage to get a hold of junk ATVs and we could manage to get a hold of junk mowers. And I could get a junk mower up and running without hardly anything for parts and cost. And so you'd take the ATV tires, you'd bolt pattern them onto lawn tractor tires. And then what's crazy is that, See the tires that are on the back of that machine? Those are Kendra yes. Bear Claws that now exist because of me. <laughs> those tires, wow. those tires exist because of my mud mower. And <laughs> there is an entire slew of tire size now, which is 22.11.8, that exists because of me building the original mud mower, main mud mower. And if you actually search off-road mower on Amazon, the Chinese follow my stuff and other mud mower guys, and they sell tire sets based on what I run. No way. Um, yeah. Maximus Neat. Tires Neat. from China actually sells sets. Is that, is that flattering or frightening? 
A little bit of both. <laughs> Especially since I have a habit of saying Chineseium as far as my opinion on carburetors. I probably should, I probably should be nicer about that if they're going to be helpful to the community. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to name drop here. When I say AVE, what is the first word that comes to your mind? Antivirus? Uh no, do, okay, do you know the YouTube channel AVE? Well, actually AVE it, it depends on whether you want to know what comes to my mind as far as hateful comment or positive comment. Because AVE is a type of Briggs and Stratton timing, and it is horrible. <laughs> and all of those motors, as far as I'm concerned, should be driven into the dark side of whoever designed them. Um, <laughs> I, I absolutely hate Briggs and Stratton single cylinders, the 19, 20, and 21 that are AVE timing design. They literally explode attempting to mow grass. <laughs> okay, I mean, uh, you. Uh, I think we're thinking about a different AVE uh, because I always remember him as the guy that uh, he ends all of his uh, videos with, keep your dick in a vice. Arduino I do know, versus everyone. Okay, yes. <laughs> yes, I remember AVE. Okay. That was the first time I yeah. had heard Kinesium was was on his channel, and that's why I He thought, said it. I thought, I thought you may have been yep. an AVE guy too. No, but then I've uh forgotten about AVE saying Chinesium. I actually started saying that about four, maybe five years or so ago. And it, that had to do with me working with a guy at the time, I was helping him with working on his truck. And he had bought mm -hmm. a water pump. We're working on installing the water pump. And he went to crank it over. And it literally split the pump turning over the very first time. And he, he got hopping mad, started screaming and yelling. And it was... It was just bleeping Chinesium crap, bleeping Chinesium crap. And it stuck. Like the moment I heard that, I was like, that is priceless. And I've been using it in videos ever since. And hey, I've been I mean, waiting for the YouTube algorithm god to get mad at me for it, but they haven't yet. And, and you know, the what I always have told people since then is... Okay, and we talked about this on other shows where I said, I will always buy something made in China intended for domestic ch consumption by the Chinese. I am hesitant to buy something made in China exported to the United States. And do you know why, dear Neil? <laughs> because that's how they get rid of all the lead? No. <laughs> Although lead has something to do with it. Lead has something to do with it. Because here comes my death reference. Because in China, business fraud is punishable via the death penalty. Yes. Yes, it is. So you sell a defective product. You know, your sentence is to be dragged out to the corner of the forest and you get 
a slug in the back of your head. Mm-hmm. Or you get the execution <laughs> van. There's our death reference yep. for the show. <laughs> I did it, Matt. <laughs> you get treated it's, like a raccoon that needs to leave the damn chickens alone. Exactly. Is, <laughs> we every every episode, Ray has to bring up a moment of death. Um and at one point there was always high explosives that were um that were talked about. We got into a kick of thermobaric bombs for a little bit, but um we, we've kind of we've shied away from that and just stuck to death in general. Um all yeah, right, keep Neil, it to Tanner right. You'll less likely yeah, you get in trouble. Yeah, t- yeah, Tannerite's not too uh and I'll tell you when it started. I don't know if you remember when the, the Nashville bombing took place. And mm-hmm. uh, and we were we were speculating <laughs> over what kind of explosive that may have been, and uh, Ray had a uh, a theory that it may have been a perchlorate bomb, and uh, and so anyway we were we kind of got off into the into the weeds about that, and we learned a lot about explosives, and come to find out, uh, Ray is our resident uh, explosive expert, which is interesting though because we did afterwards ended up ha- end up having a legit uh, EOD tech, like super experienced bomb technician on. And uh, although we ended up not really <laughs> talking a whole lot about, about bombs when he was on, we were, we were talking mostly about grass at the time, but um, Neil, I'm going to, I'm going to pull up a series of videos here and I want you to tell me the inspiration behind these. And I'm going to start with this right, first one right here. And this first one is, the homemade dump loader. Yep. This is nothing short so, of brilliant. Okay. So the, the way this came about was that I was dealing with trying to get my driveway fixed. I have a third of a mile long driveway. And so I had looked into ordering what was available at the time, which was called a Swiss loader. And it was $600 just for the bucket. The attachment to the machine was another $150, $160. And my brain went, screw that. I will figure out a way to build it myself. So that's a water pressure tank that John is sitting in holding a chicken. The bottom of that is actually the tank filleted out. The, uh, the lip on it is actually made out of bed frame rail because it's spring steel, so it was able to be sharpened. Um, the upper part is also the same idea. The hinge on the back is actually a giant barn door hinge. And the, uh, the push plate is actually the um, plow push plate that goes to that machine, only it's inverted. So that the push plate that normally would connect to the left, the lifting lever uh, lever is out in front in order to give it the draw height. And then the uh, tubing that's in underneath it for the frame is actually from a hospital bed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. This is that. This is a genius. Finest. Yeah. No, this is genius. And. You see, uh, I understand guys like this because you see this kind of ingenuity. I'm familiar with it because I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere. Literally the middle of nowhere. I am, you know, what is it? uh, 2,000 miles from civilization. So 
if I want it, I might have to make it. I get it. Yep. I I couldn't I couldn't get it. The idea that people were spending seven hundred and fifty dollars. And the saddest part was, is that also didn't include having to buy the winch to lift the friggin' thing. Oh, damn. <laughs> so, yeah, I already had a 3,000 pound winch on the front of it. So I was like, screw it. I'll just make my own. Mm-hmm. And. Oh, OK. And it's. And so if you back up. If you back up with it the way it is, it'll actually re-trigger itself to lift. So if you drop it down while you're backing up, it'll actually pull down and it'll re-trigger itself and then you lift it. Neat. I don't remember if I show that in this video. That was what actually took me the hardest amount of time to figure out was getting the trig system to actually work correctly. And so I don't remember if it's in this old video. I know it's in the newer one that I did of this. And, and you just, yeah, you so put that's on your, on your see? gear shift. And now it's going to lift. put a little. Yep. <laughs> you put well, a little actually, switch to on control the, your, your winch. Yeah. See what I'm grabbing right now. That's my winch uh-huh. control. This is incredible. I actually. I'm actually re- I'm actually installing a coil in that tractor right now. I still have that tractor. It's one of the only long-standing tractors that I've had. Is it is it because that's original Craftsman? Um it's because it's the one that I have chose to build the most attachments for because it's just bloody rugged. Um, it's quarter inch thick solid steel frame underneath there. And what? the steering system for it is just bulletproof. And the transmission in it is a three speed with high low. And it has a differential in it the size of a small Ford Ranger pickup truck. The axles <laughs> in it are actually bigger around <laughs> than, a, than a Ford Ranger's rear axles. Goodness. <laughs> so in it's other words, this, this, this is no, this is like in other words, a pre a pre two thousands craftsman. In other words, it's, it it that, dates that back. That one is a ni- that craftsman is a nineteen eighty nine. That's why. That is why. Okay, because anything sold by Sears made before. 2006 was the changeover. Right, but anything made before 2000, safe to say, is worth keeping. It's worth keeping. I mean, that's that's my bottom line on it, because they need some good stuff back then. AYP frame, which is the LT1000, LT2000, LT4000 series, which is the homeowner series. Those frames were in production from 19, uh, 1987, 88, depending on who you want to argue with over coffee, up until mm-hmm. 2006. The GT series frame, which is what you see in that video, that actually was also made until 2006, except for what happened is um, the square nose hoods, they fell out of favor. 
So like, you know how Ford and Chevy and stuff, they did their redesigns on like the Mustangs and the Camaros and stuff like that. Well, Mm -hmm. Craftsman did the same thing with the GT series and the GT 6000 was eliminated and it was replaced with the GT 3000 and the GT 5000. And so one is a ginormous hydro and the other one is the same exact six speed that is in that machine there. It literally, the only thing that changes from 88 all the way to 2006 is the hood and the running boards. Everything else is interchangeable. Oh, and some of the dashes are different. But that entire frame that is in there will swap into a GT3000 or a GT5000 all the way to 2006. Nice. Let me ask you about this next video here, uh, because this is more ingenuity at its finest. And uh, you did you did a, a video about a uh, a ditch a ditch trimmer. <laughs> oh talk God! To me, this thing has been going viral. Talk to me um, about your ditch trimmer here. Well, literally, I just sliced that thing into three sections and took it to the junkyard this morning um, (laughs) so that I can build a bigger, better one next year. (laughs) So that machine there is actually an MTD GT white from from the 1980s. And it has a it has a zero point hitch on the rear. So what you see dragging on the ground is a brake rotor and a flywheel and a, I think it's a brake caliper on the end in order to balance out the weight of the mower that's on the other side so that I could do the ditch. And the reason being for this is that literally six inches away from where my front tire is, is a total drop off of about four feet. And so to be able to get out there and do it, I didn't want to be out there with a trimmer and everything. I just wanted to be able to go and drink my soda, drive along, and cut it down. So I did this. Is this is this and past OSHA specifications? I'm just curious. No, not by any <laughs> no. means. And good. And it, the comments on this video are absolutely golden i get people all the time telling me how i'm going to get hit in the back of the head with a blade and how i'm going to die from it or um i can see gene pool lifeguarding about to happen and everything else um i when i posted this video so one of those youtube you know back back room youtube discussions most of my videos, the moment I post them, I make 50 bucks. There's no if, ands, or buts. They all pull enough views to make $50. This video I just checked what it made this morning. It has made $385. That is, <laughs> and I Lord built it literally out of everything that is free. Every part on that build is free. I mean, you're breaking hey. down, what is it? Is that a maple tree? You just, Yep. You just saw that, that swamp maple. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, hey, uh, you see, the man can't afford 
a articulating arm flail mower. Okay, I mean, mower, what do you think he is? A brand. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's not a Rockefeller. He's not a he's not a Vanderbilt. I mean, uh, I, I identify with him because he's not made out of money. <laughs> I mean, you put it together the best you can, and to me, that works. Okay, that works. So because. Guess what government organization I have the least use for next to the EPA? What one? Are you going with this, Ray? OSHA. Yeah. <laughs> OSHA, yeah. <laughs> yeah, OSHA and the EPA. I mean, I have little use for those two. <laughs> that, is, that is one hell of a machine right there. I, I just saw that, and I'm like, that is... It's just a certain, yeah, all, it's, it's a problem solving attitude that you've taken to pretty much all of this, right? And it's mm-hmm. you know, how can I use each of these to make my life easier or to have more fun than I'm currently having, right? It's the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the time reward aspect ratio there. And, I, and that kind of leads me into the next video I've pulled up here, which is another piece of, of brilliance. And it is, um, I would I'll go by the title here the MTD gas power wheel Duramax test. <laughs> you have put a gas engine in a battery driven vehicle. And I made it so it fit the entire drivetrain and everything in the body. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what that's the reason why this video and the other one continue to pull mad views. This thing was capable of doing 11 miles per hour. And what this video, yeah, this 11 miles per hour. And um the one that I have for John that I built is the Ford F150 um Raptor that I built. That's actually a 5-speed uh, rear end out of a Murray lawn tractor that's in that one. This one is an MTD FNR rear end. So it has forward neutral reverse. The The FNR is actually turned 90 degrees so that I could drive shaft it from the front to the back to have a gear on it. There's a centrifugal clutch on the back side of the motor driving a chain drive down to the drive shaft. And so it literally. <laughs> And we took it to mud runs and we ran it against actual honest to God ATVs in the kids class. And we took second place three years in a row. No way. Yep. <laughs> yes. So the, Damn the, thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is a unit right there. That, yep. that and is we, a unit. <laughs> so I used to have two different rear ends that were built for it so that I could hawk swap rear ends. I had one that was an open diff so that that way you could lap it around like track laps and stuff. And then we had another one, which was a fully welded lockered rear end in order to do mud runs. That is absolutely bananas. Uh, <laughs> and let me ask in terms of dollars, how many do you have invested in that piece of equipment right there? Um, 
that particular machine, yeah, the only thing that costs me anything on that machine is the motor. The tires are actually off one of my original mud mowers. The rear tires I ended up bartering for and doing some horse trading. The chassis that it's built on is a 1995 MTD FNR. Um, the steering system and everything is a stock lawn tractor system. It's a FNR chassis that was shortened. I believe it was 16 inches. I shortened it in order to make the wheelbase fit perfectly to the power wheel body. And that it's is... all stuff anybody else could build. There's nothing special <laughs> whatsoever about that build. Anybody could build it. Well, what's special is, is that you built it. And, and oh, see those, it... see the latches, see the latches for the top piece. Those are cabinet latches on the sidewalls there. Those are cabinet latches for RT, um, R, uh, RVs for going road tripping so that your cabinet doesn't pop open. I now use those as hood latches for other vehicles and lawn tractors. <laughs> because if you buy a set of honest to God, stupid Jeep ones, it's like $150 for a set. You can buy a four pack of those that work just as good for $24.95 off of Amazon. <laughs> this, this thing is unbelievable this yep. is crazy so that is wild that is wild yeah, it originally, that is wild it originally was about 6.5 horsepower this version here is when i hopped up the carburetor to about nine horsepower <laughs> all right so you know we we wanted to have you on because we saw we saw the 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 lawnmower race right and that is it was totally new to me. I did not know it existed. I had no idea it was up north either. And uh, I saw that even in Canada, it's kind of becoming a thing now. And uh, I was like, man, that is absolutely incredible. I'd like to talk to one of the one of the pioneers in this. And it's interesting to hear it. That was what y'all did for ATVs back in the day. And now it's kind of taken on this thing. And and clearly you've you've achieved fame with it. And uh, how your YouTube channel is not young. You've been you've been making YouTube videos for a long time. Why? What? What was? Why did you start making YouTube videos? I I I, I have to find the right polite way to word this because I. Okay, so the reason why I started creating YouTube videos, ironically, was one of those situations where the, the person that triggered it was also like the prime directive of why it started happening. My, my boss back 12 years ago had a YouTube channel and he was one of the first that started to actually make money off of YouTube like openly. And his channel is now defunct because of YouTube and all of their anti-gun stuff. But ironically, him as a boss, he wasn't exactly a very good boss. He was a very good friend outside of work and a very good friend when you needed somebody to be a friend. But as far as being a boss, you know, it's one of those jobs where it kept you 
paying the bills, but really the moment you could figure out something that was better, you were going to leave. And he came in one day, he showed me his check that he had gotten from YouTube, and instantaneously, right then and there, I was like, are you kidding me? You have the personality of a potato to listen to, and you just made $450 <laughs> off of YouTube. I could do that. And so I bought a $35 camera. I bought a tripod for five bucks at Goodwill, and I started my YouTube channel. And literally, my very birthday. A year later, I made my first $100 bill off of YouTube, and I still, to this day, have the check receipt framed and sitting above my desk, <laughs> which actually I haven't brought down into the house because I just moved in. I just moved in, but it's hanging on my wall, my check receipt from the very first pay stub that I ever got from YouTube. I have been on YouTube so old. This is how you really define a, a YouTuber. If you want to find out how old they are, ask them if they remember getting checks in the mail. Because about a year and a half after I got my first check is when they discontinued that. And you had to have a bank account for auto deposit. I'm sure, I'm sure that made enough people mad at one point or another. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, that caused a whole stir. It's it's, yeah. it's funny that you had to have a go ahead. You had to have an international capable bank to get paid at the time because it wasn't a common thing. And the problem is when we started getting paid by Google slash YouTube back then, for the first four years that I was paid the federal taxes counted it as international payment, not continental. Crazy. Holy. (laughs) And so that made it a really big issue doing taxes my first few years. And now the taxes are based on where you live and you're paid based on that. But... It was really fun the first four years trying to figure out my own taxes. I would say so. That uh, that definitely adds a, a a layer of complexity you don't know you're signing up for just by you know <laughs> making a few YouTube videos. So when I guess in 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 your area, how long how long ago did the mower? racing thing begin to take off so as far as lawn tractor racing and stuff circle track racing has existed in southern maine for pretty much as long as it's ever been a thing in the united states as far as the drag racing thing is concerned i just joined them two years ago but the group has existed i believe this is the ninth year of them existing but it didn't actually go like public public about it until about five, six years or so ago. And I actually intended to join five or six years or so ago, but I was going through, I was going through a situation with a chronically ill father and a bunch of other stuff and wasn't able to, Oh, the pink mower there. That's my girlfriend, Jesse driving a hydro. 
And that <laughs> mower there, that mower there is the biggest controversy of people calling me full of it that I have ever posted on YouTube. Um, because it's a hydro that I hopped up the internal gear ratio on, posted all the how-to videos and everything on doing it. And it does 25 miles per hour with me on it. And Jesse weighs 100 pounds less than me. And it does 27 with her on it. Good Lord. Yeah. So this video here, this is actually when I, this is um, the diesel eater. And I was monkeying around with some pulley ratios and stuff and going through hell with it. And the video... I don't know whether this is the one that I had a pulley on it that was too big or not. Yes, that's what it is, because it took me forever to get up to speed. That was actually one of my worst races I ever did, but I was monkeying around with a new camera, so I posted it anyway. So how much time do you... I, I, I guess, take, take me through this. You're going to build a drag racing mower, right? Yep. Where do you start? If you want to do it the easiest way possible, if you want to build the easiest one possible, you're looking for an LT1000 Craftsman or an Airines that's based off the same chassis, or you want a Poolin Pro that's um, built before 2006 that has a geared transmission in it, and you're going to put a, um, you're going to go and put about an eight to a ten inch pulley on the motor you're going to relocate your clutch back about three inches and then you're going to put a three and a half inch um, pulley on your transmission and by the time you get clocked out at about 150 feet you're going to be pushing about 40 to 45 miles per hour what? and if you haven't and if you haven't checked your steering you will know every bit of what scary wobble that is Goodness, you take goodness. on that machine will put you at 40 miles an hour. A 10-inch pulley going back to a 3-inch will put you at 45 miles an hour on most geared transmissions. Now, see, the problem is different transmissions are geared differently for machines. Um, for example, John Deere, John Deere actually subsidizes and pays Spicer Transmission to make special tough torquing transmissions for them if you hop up one of those transmissions it won't do jack diddly because it has lower gear ratios on the inside of it but if you take the same exact transmission from the same case that comes out of a lot uh comes out of a craftsman that has a higher six gear you put about an eight inch on the front and about a four inch on the rear you top out at 30 miles an hour this is absolutely, I can't believe these machines have enough torque to, 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 oh, they jump got off plenty of torque. Like that. That's unbelievable. The, oh, the oh, top they, they have small they, mod tops out at 240 pounds. What? Okay. Yep. Okay, Matt. You know what? I, I have a, I have a weird idea. Imagine me driving one of those mowers. No. <laughs> Yep. No, imagine imagine me miles an hour. You know, yeah, the because clip on a good posted the first clip. 
that shows the guy mm-hmm. with the hood that is like steel looking. You have that mm-hmm. clip. Okay, yeah. The reason the reason why I, I, I bring that up, Neil, is because on a good day I'm about 130 pounds. Yeah, wait a minute. If if he can find the clip, the, it's a it's a green rear end with a steel looking hood. You can see the two. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see the two air filters sticking out the front of the hood. If he's got that clip, there's a reason I wanted him to show that. Oh, in the in the because you were talking clip? about torque. Yep, because you're talking drag about. Oh, torque. okay. You had it. It was the very first clip you showed when we started tonight. Oh, we'll get this bad boy pulled up. Let's see here. It might it might be at the very start of it. Let's see. Pull back a little. Now keep going. Keep going. It'll be in the outlaw class. Right in that, yeah, in that area. Go back a little. Oh, Look going. at these damn things. Right there. Yeah. That that I mean, race there. That one. The guy that has the silver hood, mm-hmm. I would bet I could probably lift him one-handed. He weighs in at about a buck twenty. And you're talking about <laughs> torque on the back. You see on the back that square thing? That square yes, thing I, on that... the back is a 240-pound tractor weight to add weight. What? Yes. Yes, so that he doesn't just wheelie and, uh, you know, flip yep. over. It, it's, it's a counterbalance. Yep. It's yep. a counterbalance. His, and, tires, uh... his tires only touch at the finish line if you watch his actual, like, winning races. <laughs> and that parti- that particular machine is always still accelerating by the time it hits the end of the line. Goodness. That blue one, that blue one got registered at 50 miles per hour. Look at these damn things. Yep. This is unbelievable. But How the- much engine modification takes place? I mean, are people going in and boring and stroking and all that fun stuff? If it's in the outlaw class, it's no holds barred. If so you're in you the outlaw, anything goes. Any, any, as any long as, as it has to be race gas or race gas or less, as long as it started life as a 250 cc or less, anything goes. You can put any carb on. You can put any stroker kit on. You want. You can. You can bore out, you can do whatever you want in Outlaw, as long as it's started as a 250cc or less. Has anybody put nitrous on any of them? (laughs) We don't run nitrous and we don't run turbos or superchargers because of insurance. Yeah, I was going to say yet. Yep. Yet. It's coming. Or it's going to happen. And there's one more that I would probably throw in there uh for a a naturally aspirated engine methanol injection well actually the argument that i had with them was that the rule clearly states no nos i'm running a Mm -hmm. diesel and so i pointed (laughs) out that 
propane is the equivalent of NOS to a diesel. And I was like, you know, I mean, it's a good thing I play by, you know, casual rules, because otherwise I'd be out there with a propane tank and a push 12 volt button going, woohoo. <laughs> Actually, I, I would be even more, I would be even more funny because I'm also familiar with the co-injection of propane, water, and methanol into a yep. diesel. Yep. And that is to cool the intake charge, increase its density, and give you silly amounts of power and acceleration. <laughs> but don't worry, Matt, I don't screw I don't screw with that because I I stick to stock engines because uh, <laughs> I don't want my so, uh, transmission so, sitting up on top giving me the finger. <laughs> so the stock engine thing right there, I wanted to roll back to that because you were asking me about engines and stuff. The, the rules for small mod is that it has to be 500cc or less, and you are not allowed to do any internal modification. You can modify the carb and you can modify the exhaust to flow better. You are not allowed to do any internal work. And then in big mod, it's the same rules, only it's 750cc or less. And going back to that Chinesium thing we were talking about earlier, ironically, that's how you get a Kohler to actually go better, is you buy cheaper Chinesium coils that do not have the Kohler rev limiter in them. And then the stupid Kohler will go from turning 3,600 RPM to turning 6,400 RPM. <laughs> what? Yep. So... What Kohler did, because they don't trust their, their own whatever, is Kohler actually has a CDI regulator system, and you can buy the CDI Delete. It's actually called MDI by Kohler, but it actually runs as a CDI. But So what they did was they created a Delete kit for it because the MDI was prone to just kill itself. And so Kohler created MDI Delete coils. Only what they did was they put a resistor in the stupid coil so that when it hits a certain RPM, it offloads and it slows the motor down. So what mm -hmm. you do is you buy the non-resistor Chinesium coils, which do not have the resistor limiter in them. And all of a sudden <laughs> your stock Kohler is capable of 6,400 RPMs. That is wild as hell. I've got to. I've oh, got to ask you because everybody in 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 the chat, I I've I've got a lot of DMs about this too. Wants to know, would it be possible to take one of these machines and engage the blades and mow at these speeds? The answer is no. Actually, I was going to roll back to a comment that was in the chat. And uh, there's a big controversy if you're if you're into mowing into mower racing. There's a big controversy and argument about the world's fastest mower versus the Guinness Book of World Records fastest mower. So the Guinness Book of World Records registers the fastest mower capable of mowing at 135 miles per hour, but it was only actually capable of mowing at about 20-ish miles per hour. But the problem is, and most of the community about 
actually racing machines has a problem with that machine because it's actually a motorcycle motor and it goes to a live axle rear end and the mower deck is actually not driven by the motor it's actually electric motors and it runs off a battery so they can only mow in order to make the record for about 15 minutes before the independent battery dies um but the world's fastest actual registered made out of lawn tractor parts as in a lawn tractor motor a lawn tractor transmission and actually belt driven like a regular lawn tractor is 96 miles per hour okay actual honest to god yep actual honest to god lawn tractor motor and an actual honest to god lawn tractor rear end a six speed 820 rear end with a belt drive the actual registered capable speed was 96 miles per hour how in the hell did they do that it's all about gear ratios <laughs> that is absolutely insane I could see, yeah, I saw Connor Warden here, and I could see this being the type of mower <laughs> that uh, that he would want to run. Something cruising at a at a calm ninety six miles an hour out in the middle of Wyoming somewhere. Just actually, he's in Utah. His past. I don't think actually he he's in Utah. Uh, but. We're not, we're not. I mean, we know Connor Ward and Connor Ward is actually, I figured out a true Canadian redneck. He's a true Canadian redneck. That's, that's Connor. (laughs) Yeah. So, because he has too much of a wild hair up his butt to be a native Utah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> see if I can't pull up a uh, a clip here um, of Connor and uh, and and Ryan Nor having some fun. So yes, that his one yard like a like a, a a golf course, like a golf green, the the entirety of the yard, and so he bought what's what we call a triplex mower that has you know three different reels on it and uh well he's uh, and and rebuilt the thing to get it running appropriately and you know mows his yard with this and it's a uh it's not a normal thing so <laughs> that's why i think it would be i could see him doing something crazy outlandish trips to the middle of nowhere firing up a 100 mile an hour mower and just raising hell on it. <laughs> so that kind of leads me into my next question here, Neil, is are you going to take the lawn care jump? <laughs> so it's kind of an irony that I just had a cat jump off of my lap. So I get people all the time that ask me 
to, you know, what is my lawn? How would I describe my lawn? You know, I work on lawn tractors, therefore I must have a really cool lawn and stuff like that. <laughs> and what I tell people, and I usually let them think on it for a bit before I continue, is that I would say that my lawn is calico. That makes perfect sense. And I was doing the math. I was doing the math a couple of weeks or so ago because we had talked about, um, I had talked with Jay Pink a little bit and um, I had sent him some pictures and stuff like that. And there's, there's specifically one that has ferns in it. it. Oh, that's burdock. If you have a, this. So a few seasons ago, I was working on a series of machines and I mowed out behind my yard and um, whatever the ferny stuff is that was in that last picture, this, whatever that is, I was working on machines and it kept coming in all clogged up in their decks and stuff like that. And it will now not go away. It started off as about a five foot circle where I fired up a deck. Because you got to figure, in the last 10 years, and I usually, I usually buy, swap, and sell more than 20 to 30 machines a summer. So if you do the math of 10 years at 20 to 30 machines on a bad year of me only getting about 20 up and running, I literally fire up a deck 20 times on my lawn that has the seeds in it from somebody else's lawn from all over the state because I buy swap and sell tractors within an almost hour and a half radius of my house. And so my entire lawn is calico. I literally probably have like 20 different types of grass. And the other thing is, is I always give up on my lawn because it's made, <laughs> my entire yard is what they call marine clay. You know what marine clay is? No, it's, it sounds like overflow from the uh, from the sea. So marine clay is this really strange composite clay, and it swells with water and then shrinks. And to give you an idea of what my lawn turns into for about two and a half months during the dry season. Marine clay is what they process and harvest in order to make toilets. And I am convinced that they don't have to process it very much to make the toilets with it. <laughs> in effect, it turns into almost like a ceramic of sorts. It's just, uh, it's in, in, in. Oh, no. Like, yeah. It, my whole entire yard turns into concrete with grass on it. Like so during this time of year where it's the rainy season, if you were to drive out onto my lawn, we would tell you you're a stupid idiot and you can come get your car after it gets done sinking. If you park <laughs> on my lawn, you will be all the way to your axles sunk into it in under 30 minutes. But Are you if you were to come to the same exact section of lawn in August, you could park an entire 18-wheeler on it for weeks on end, and it would never sink a bit. 
how close are you to the coast? Oh, I can throw a stone and hit it if I if I want to. I oh, literally okay. down. Ah, uh huh. Okay, yeah, literally because down over the hill. I'm within walking distance of the sea. I'm familiar. I'm very familiar, and you know what that sounds like, Matt? Sodium and magnesium affected soil. It does, doesn't it? Sodium. Yeah, sodium and magnesium clay. I was looking and to see if I could find a composition of uh, of marine clay, mineral mineral wise. Keep talking, Ray. I'm, I'm going to keep looking here. So, uh, the thing about that clay at the uh, sea level and affected by the ocean is when it's wet i say that it has the texture of axle grease Mm -hmm. when it's dry it is like uh pottery or concrete and knowing that though there may sometimes be a way to remediate it How do you do that? Well, you've got to get rid of the sodium and the magnesium. You got to flush that out of the soil. With it is, you end up grinding cow manure into it over and over and over and over again for about five years. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking here. So we got a lot of, uh, uh, and it it varies region by region. So Canada is a little different than the U.S. It's it's common in uh, some Asian countries as well. You'll see it in Japan and Korea. Uh, mica, chlorite, quartz, field spars. Uh, it is. It's noted for having um, uh, plenty of calcium, sodium, aluminum, magnesium, and iron. So. Yeah, kind of a kind of a fun one to deal with there. Uh, apparently, it flocculates fairly well too, uh, and it has a lot of uh, high swelling minerals as well. So, yeah, interesting. So it's it's more like uh, what they call a bentonite. It, it, yeah, there's yeah. probably a lot of bit. There's probably a lot of bentonite in it. The outside wall of my garage, between freezing and the swelling of marine clay, will lift as much as two inches. Damn. Yep. So what's weird about dealing with marine clay? This is one of those things. Like they talk. You ever you ever hear like the the old hot rod guys talking about the earth eating a vehicle? That comes Mm -hmm. from marine clay. So what happens with marine clay is if you put something that is solid on marine clay, the area of marine clay that is outside of that solid item will saturate, it will grow, but whatever is sitting on it, it doesn't saturate and it sinks down. And the clay will eventually inch itself up the item and actually engulf it. Um, There's a truck in my backyard that I was told was parked there in 1970 something. And it literally is down to the top of the cab 
where you can find it to this day because the marine clay over the course of 30 years ate it. And so that is what my lawn is on. So if you have any advice on how to go and grow grass on quicksand that's made into toilets, please feel free to advise. (laughs) You know, really, I think for almost simplicity's sake, because you would get stuck into a wormhole of doing honestly all kinds of crazy shit to try and fix it. So the, the concept of tilling in a bunch of organic matter, um, over the series of a couple of years is probably the lowest barrier to entry. Um, otherwise you're going to have to do, you're going to have to make a lot of changes to do a lot of leaching and flushing to try and, and target uh, some of these, some of these more aggressive uh, minerals that are, that are going to lead to this excess swelling and holding on uh, to, to water. And it could just, it could get, it could get real hairy real quick it would be it would be the type of commitment of not just joining a mower league but entering multiple uh machines into a a a, a mower league owning the mower league scheduling all the race events and uh, you know every every two to four weeks for for two years you're you're going to be investing um significant numbers of hours into into the lawn so if you're ready to somebody, make that leap, it's doable. I just noticed somebody commenting about doing it with sand capping and stuff. And that's usually the most common advice that I get because I have looked into it because, you know, as a guy who rebuilds lawn tractors and stuff like that, I probably should have a yard that actually looks halfway decent. But, you know, fuck it. I don't really care. Um, you know, You know, the problem. Okay, I'll come back to that because I almost got sidetracked. So the problem with sand capping my yard, which is what everybody always immediately tells me, is that you can't get sand in the state of Maine. You have to import it. We don't have sand. In the state of Maine, you have one of two things. You either have glacial gravel or you have marine clay. That's it. There's nothing else. You're either sitting on a ledge or you're in marine clay or you're in glacial gravel. That's all you have here. And so for me to get sand, I have to actually mm -hmm. pay almost, I have to pay $30 a cubic yard for sand. Okay, let me stop you, Neil. Guess how much I pay for sand? Depends on which beach you go to. Ha 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 No. Try more like anywhere from two hundred to four hundred dollars per cubic yard, depending on what kind of sand it is. No yeah, joke. The question is, do you need it in order to do what you do? Absolutely. I absolutely right. need it because you know when you're talking about marine clay? Yep. That is literally what I deal with in Hawaii on a lawn that is at sea level and is not inland. I deal with that. So I'm sitting back listening to this and my brain immediately goes to 
stick a 12-inch or thicker layer of sand on that area and then grow grass on top of that sand. Now, would you till it in at all, or what? Would, never. What would be your never? Process? Never. Okay. Bring in the sand, grow the grass on top of the sand, and pretend you do not have marine clay anywhere in that lawn. Except for the problem is, you're going to end up with the same issue you do with a driveway here. The, the problem with marine clay is if you don't actually dig the marine clay out, it will actually eat what you put on top over time. Like my That's driveway. Okay. Okay, here's what, my here's driveway where I'm going to stop has, you. has eventually been eaten by the marine mm-hmm. clay. And now if you drive down my driveway, you wouldn't, you would never know that there was over 20 trucks that built that driveway. Okay, it I believe it. And the, the thing is, is that when you're dealing with that kind of a clay, the word is maintenance. Because even yep. a lawn that is, that is sand-capped, typical protocol is to, once you, get, once you develop the sand cap, you maintain that sand cap with another half inch to an inch of sand per year. You just maintain it because, okay. because, like, even if I were to throw sand on somebody's lawn right now, I already know that a year or two later, I'm going to be doing it again to maintain the progress that I built up. It's not a one and done thing. In fact, you know, in lawn care, anybody that's looking for a one and done thing is going to be sorely disappointed and even astroturf is not a one-and-done thing because it no, it UVs out, it deteriorates, it looks like shit, and then you're going to have to scrape it all up and do it all over again in about 10 to 15 years. So there's no such thing as a one-and-done thing when it comes to lots. So what you're saying thing- is I need to go and have it pulled in, I need to go and do a layer, and then I need to plan ahead on the idea of a spreader-type system Deal. which i'll have to make mm-hmm. redneck style so i mm-hmm. i think i've already decided i'm going to take an earth auger and turn it sideways so that it's wheel driven so that as i drive along it spreads it out now mm-hmm. <laughs> but that but in all seriousness i mean that that's what you're saying is what i need to do is i need to go and figure out a way to cap it and then plan on a spreading regime now, would I spread it during its concrete stage, or would I spread it during its mud running stage? Which would I would do it in fall when it's going to be closest time to you establish establishing seed. So probably okay. in your area, I'm going to guess that's that's in August time frame. It's about the time, eh, yeah, August time frame would be when you would want to establish seed. So. Um, and I, I'd say that's probably when it's concrete for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And August the, is when it's concrete. And the advantage is, is that you can do some lower maintenance, uh, uh, grass types in up your area. So, um, you could do some of these newer fine fescues 
uh, that have. See, the problem have, is, is I'm not worried about what kind of grass I have because I'm never going to be able to control it. That's the reason why I have a calico lawn is because every time I fire up another mowing deck on my lawn, I'm reseeding that area. Well, this ah. is where you're, you're going <laughs> to become uh, a chemical guy as well. And there's going to be a, a couple of choice chemicals that we can use that you don't have to worry about. Uh, uh, those the introduction of seeds that will actually inhibit uh, the the development that process of a seed becoming a seedling. Um, it'll inhibit cell division, and you don't have to worry about uh, the majority of your weeds establishing. So once you've got a lawn full of dense fine fescue with a little bit of pre-emergent, then all of a sudden you're just maintaining that fine fescue that you got. You're maintaining a desirable turf, and again, this is all about the the nasty, dirty M word, maintenance. Okay, that, that's that's what lawn. Okay, good, good, good. Because once you have the concept in your head that having desirable grass involves periodic maintenance then you can have the badass lawn it's not you know out of reach and speaking to or seeing the spectrum of weeds that you do have i'm mildly jealous of you <laughs> actually no 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 listen i am mildly jealous of you because i don't see anything in the pictures that would be hard for me to kill. Okay, well, seriously, how do I kill that stupid friggin' fern crap? That. How do I kill that? That is what I need That's done. Triclopyr plus 24D. Here's the problem. I have a dug well that's next to that. That's okay. All you do is you just follow your label instructions and do not make the chemical application right before any kind of flooding rain. And, you know, it's as simple as that. I mean, do not, uh, you know, have some sense about it. Just make your application at such a time when it's dry. The chemical products are going to... There's two, triclopyr and 2,4-D. And we can talk about this, you know, after the show and what that'll do is that is selective in that your grass that's there will not be adversely affected by it but it will curl up and dry out a lot of the undesirable vegetation that's uh, infested itself into the lawn nice. <laughs> yeah there, there's, there's ways to do this <laughs> Yeah, I am. I'm kind of charting I can hear this. Ray getting very excited about the idea of like trying to remotely take over my lawn and turn it into golf <laughs> terrain. <laughs> well, uh, you know, in case you don't know, I actually do take care of and maintain some very well, fine turf areas. You know, very fine turf areas. I mean, so... The idea of a 
you know, just have grass and it need not be kept at one-tenth of an inch, I can be on board with that because, you know, higher-cut, cool-season grass would be like me being on vacation. Oh, well, I Compared always to what I try as much as possible to keep it below about four inches because otherwise the ticks will come in. We have really sure. massive tick problems here. So we have to go and Unders- keep it cut down. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's... Uh, well, that's that's one one thing, but then it's an entirely different level of complexity when, for example, with what I typically deal with, normal maintenance height is a half an inch or shorter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, wait a minute. A little... get, okay, so the geeky nerd in me that likes lawn tractors, what do you end up actually cutting that with? Is it a real mower, or what are you cutting that of with? Of course. It's a real mower. It is a real mower. Awesome. I mean, uh, that's no, one and, of the forays I don't get to go and play with up here because of the the climate and the terrain. I I don't ever mm-hmm. get to play with any real mowers because they don't survive up here. Well, all right. So the, I have I have drawn up a little a little program for you here that, that you can follow, and this is uh, we we can we can send you a a, a shot of this image here. Oh, Pimpin. So. Real, real simple, right? And and where where you would start and uh, is really you could start anywhere with this. Um, but I, I probably wouldn't start till next fall with the sand and the seeds. So that would be where it says August, right? You would start right there. You could throw down a little bit of fertilizer. You want to bury it in sand. And then broadcast your seed on top and water to get your seed up. Awesome. Four weeks after it's up, hit it with a little more fertilizer. And if you do have weed pressure, you can use a weed control called Three Way. We can get you a label for that. Uh, it's it's cheap. It's effective. It's going to deal with most of the winter weeds that you have to deal with there. You'll make it through winter, right? And then the next season, when it starts to grow again, which is I'm looking at your chart right here. Uh, it's probably not going to start growing until April, maybe, maybe mid to late April. And then prodiamine is going to be that pre-emergent that will, that will prevent the weeds. The three way will kill the weeds that are already up. And you can do two applications of that in April and May, right? You're not really Mm -hmm. growing then. So you could in May, you could start to throw down a little bit of fertilizer, but really you don't start taking off until June. And, uh, and so that's when, you know, you could throw down a little bit of fertilizer in June, August comes around again. It gets a little bit more sand, a little bit more seed, a little bit more fertilizer. September rolls around a little bit more fertilizer and spray it for weeds again. And this kind of kind of little program right here would be more than sufficient to take your lawn to an eight. It would, not quite a ten. So, there, it, we could take it to a ten, but the, you're you're talking about scaling. Well, I'm not worried about right? being. I'm not worried about it that much. I just would like to go and be able to have the background images and stuff when I get something up and running, and I'm doing the final mow before selling it video. For the end of my uh, the end of my resurrection videos, 
I just would like to have the background at least be something semi-presentable instead of the the current <laughs> situation. I mean, sure. <laughs> the real reality is the real reality is I have like an entire section of my lawn that I just have no give a damn about because I don't know what it is about people buying lawn tractors, but literally about every fourth or fifth one, you end up with that one jerk wad that requires trying to find out exactly how low that mower deck will go. Yeah, yeah. And they just literally scalp about a 25-foot run in that area. And then they're like, oh, it'll go down that far? <laughs> like, what the okay. hell, dude? Like... Okay, okay, wait a minute. I have a certain section I use for test driving for people because they destroy that section of lawn. It's just phenomenal. And you have to like sit there and grin at them and not walk over and like punch them in the head like you really want to. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, The thing that I would tell you is that I have an alternate contrarian way to get through that. You know that section that they're tempted to mow low like that? I would probably suggest a different type of grass that can be mowed low. It's funny that you say that because the section that I have them do their test drive on is actually under, it's underneath the edge of some really ginormous pine trees. And the reason why Mm. I let them do it over there is because it never grows grass worth of shit anyway because it's always too acidic. Okay, but even for that acidic, you know, partly shaded uh, area, you can grow something called colonial bent or creeping fescue. And those two grasses. Let's uh, put a description uh, of that. Of those grasses, send a description of those grasses out to him because those grasses were like the old time golf grasses in, you know, on the old golf courses in like Scotland and England, right? And so they are not going to be stunted or shocked by being mowed low. Yep. I mean, in fact, uh, the, the normal problem is that in, in most circumstances, those two grass varieties are considered weeds because they look stringy and hideous when they're mowed at normal lawn heights. But if somebody were to get crazy on them and mow them down to, say, inch and a half, that would literally be not, lo- not low enough for those grasses. They'll literally not be low enough because See, those grasses be are like designed. That's exactly what they do. They drop it all the way down to about a half an inch and they scalp the friggin' thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- as I said, that, that sounds to me like, you know, you're talking creeping fescue and colonial bent instead of your normal tall fescue you know, type gra- turf type tall fescue grass because if you do that kind of stuff to turf type tall fescue, it shocks it. 
it damages yes, it. Exactly. It's not, it's not good. It's with, not good. I end up with a bald spot about 25 feet long for about three weeks. Oh, yeah. But then you do that to bent or creeping fescue. No big deal. Nice. No big deal. Thank I you, mean, Ray. You know, I really they, appreciate that conversation. No, because they, they, they get so <laughs> dense. The the grass types do that. It like it's it's about as as there's no grass that I would consider low maintenance. But in terms of the most potential for being low low maintenance, as good as as exist right now genetically, yeah. those two are as good as it gets. And they're adapted to acidic soils because if you were to try to grow something else there, then you'd be looking at throwing down a lot of lime because normal turf grasses, they don't like acid soils. Yes. Yep. Which is why it is the area underneath those pines is always so sparse anyway. Well, you'd probably you know, see something different if you were to fool around with creeping fescue because creeping fescue wouldn't be disadvantaged by acidic soils. In fact, it kind of needs an acidic soil to be the most competitive. It needs it and wants it. Oh, I get you. Yeah, cool. <laughs> you, you know you know that Traflex like mower we, we showed you earlier? Um Yes. Is it possible to get one of these running 90 miles an hour? <laughs> uh, no, most likely not because it's a hydro, which is why it is my girlfriend's drag racer is such an argument. Because hydros, hydros use a pump which attaches to a hydraulic motor. And once you spin them up to a certain point, they just plain cavitate because they end up um, hitting the uh, the upper the upper uh, heat capability of the oil and it acts as a limiter. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Well, now they do have skag hydros. Skag makes a mm -hmm. zero turn hydro, which is capable of 21 miles per hour, which is the fastest that I'm aware of for a solid deck um, hydro. I have, I have, uh, I don't know if I've been on a skag that's gone that fast, but I haven't, I haven't been on any of the, the newer ones. Um, we had a, uh, a diesel Kubota that was, that was pretty damn quick. It, it, it definitely mm -hmm. wasn't 20 miles an hour, but that some bitch was, it scooted if enough you, to make me nervous. Yeah, usually what most manufacturers will do, and you can see this in lawn tractors also, um, Cub Cadet is notorious for this. Cub Cadet is notorious for putting in what they call um, travel distance modes, or they'll call it transits or something like that. And basically, almost all of your hydro pumps, you can over rev for a certain period of time before they'll start to cavitate. And so a lot of those machines will have, in the higher-end machines, they'll have something that recognizes whether the deck is engaged or not, because that dictates how fast they're capable of going. And when the deck is disengaged, 
they'll actually allow the hydro to rev up just that little bit um, higher in order to be able to transition. Um, like if you take if you take um, just about any of the standard stock lawn tractor hydros and you take them from a stock, well, let's say like a stock um, 90s Craftsman, which is what Jesse's racer is built on. If you take one of those and you take it from the 3600 RPM, it's usually capable of doing. Most of those hydro pumps are built with a percentage of overage for in case the motor runs away, that the motor runaway isn't going to blow the pump. And so they're set up to run all the time at 3600 RPM because most of your hydros are driven off of a one-to-one -one pulley ratio. So whatever your motor is turning is what the hydro is turning. But you can take a lot of those and you can turn the motor up to about four grand, four, two-ish, and they'll go from doing seven to eight miles per hour to doing about 10 to 12 miles per hour. But the problem is it's not a sustainable 10 to 12. It's a 500 feet, 1,000 feet, maybe 10 to 12. And then after that, they'll heat up and they'll cavitate. And a lot of machines have that transit speed mode. Um, Cub Cadet, like I said, is notorious for it. But the owner's manual itself will say only for short distances under 500 feet or for returning back to the garage or something like that. If you if you want to if you want to sell a quick thousand units of something, uh, Lawn Maverick said a a low cost manual reel to power reel. I'm telling you, if you could come up with a kit that is a motor and a few pulleys that you can take a a, a manual uh, a reel mower. Have you ever seen these that just by there is no pushing it, there is no kit because reel. it already exists as a how to. There's, there's no, because what already exists? Oh, converting How it? to convert one over to a 49cc motor. It already exists as a how-to. It already exists as a how-to. All you do is you <laughs> detach the, all you do is you detach the drive gear so that the real mower ends up cycling as an independent unit on its own um, bearings. And then you add a pulley on the outs, I mean, a, uh, I'm sorry, a gear on the outside of the drive reel. You mount a 49cc motor on the top of it using a 5.8 centrifugal clutch with a 40 series gear. And then at that point, it's just a push mower that when you rev it, it engages the clutch and it spins the reel. The kits have existed since the, I mean, the conversion how-to has existed in popular science since about 1976 or so. <laughs> And somebody just needs to learn I how can, to use Google. That's all that came down to. Yeah. And here's the Sorry. thing is that those, uh, that type of a mower actually used to be mass produced prior to 1980. And because you know that idea of a push reel mower, except being engine driven and it's a rear throw, not a front throw. What that looks like to me is this old vintage mower called a Toro Sport Lawn. 
is a Toro Sport lawn was exactly that, where it's a a real rear discharge, and there's a is small the, engine on top. Is the Toro Smart? Is that the one where the reel is actually split in the center, and it's like it's like a twenty four inch wide unit, and it's a blue motor, and it sits in the center on the top. Yes, that yes. is okay, it. Yes, I have seen those. That, that, okay, and yeah. but then what I'm saying is that those 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 types of mowers with the because let's get into the science of a real mower. For most lawns, the fewer blades you have on the reel, the better. Actually. Because when you're mowing... Okay, okay. Because unless somebody is mowing at a half an inch or lower, having more then seven blades on the reel is a disadvantage to them. And what that has to do with is the frequency of cut. So every reel mower has something called a frequency of cut, as in how many cuts it takes per inch traveled. Like the mower that I use right now has a frequency of cut that goes down to 0.1 inches. One-tenth of an inch. And in order for a real mower to provide a nice smooth finish, no washboarding, no mist grass or stragglers, you know, in the aftercut, the frequency of cut has to closely match the height of cut. But in order to match height of cut or become cl- or cu- get close to height of cut when you are mowing high and to me in my world high is anything over 3 quarters of an inch okay when you're mowing high you want no more than maybe 5 blades on the reel So like if I were to so if I were to make or to engineer a mower for somebody's lawn and say their height of cut was an inch and a half to two inches, and what I'd be doing to the mower is I'd have a five blade reel on it and I would make sure my drive speed on the reel is not excessive. I'd actually want that reel turning rather slowly. Conversely, if, I, if I'm mowing the kind of stuff that I mow, uh, I want the 11-blade reel or the 10-blade reel, and I want that reel to be turning rather fast because if the reel is not turning fast enough and the blade count is too low, what is going to happen is you are literally going to see a washboard pattern in the turf because like not enough cuts are being taken per inches. Versus using a set of scissors to go and cut somebody's hair. You're never going to be able to get as low with the scissors as you can with the buzzer. Right. Same concept. I got you, dude. 
It's like the John Deere <laughs> X-Blade system where they talk about being able to cut lower and stuff because one of the blades is used as a mulching blade in order to lift the grass, while the other one is a straight-edge blade in order to be able to cut it at the lowest point possible. Right, 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 right. It's all, right. It's all, it's all, it's all a matter of, yeah, it's, it's all a matter of appropriate, you know, engineering because... You know, if you want, really want to nerd out on this, you go look at this Toro publication called Fundamentals of Real Mowing. They actually put out like a hundred something page bulletin and they will break down, you know, exactly what I'm talking about in fairly simple language, but at the same time, it's very, you know, detailed and precise and in other words it's going to lay out everything that i'm talking about regarding frequency of cut of course i could get into angle of bed knife and other things but then that's uh an, an advanced discussion <laughs> you know that, that that that's a different world but uh is your relief uh, you know, for that's most exactly point. why i never show sharpening blades in any of my videos i literally did that like once about seven years ago and i could not stand the number of comments i got about different angles and whether i was doing it right and how using a belt sander is satan and everything else oh my god and you, it's a and you know what i'm gonna blade going on a 200 dollar mower i don't think anybody really gives a damn about how you cut it as long as it makes the grass go down like well you know what i'm gonna tell you for, you know what my favorite tool is for a rotary blade a file you know to, to put no i use something called a makita power file Yes. And what a Makita power yep. file, you know what that is. It's a little, yep. it's a belt sander with an articulating arm. And yep. you know, know what exactly I do to that? You know what that, you know what I do with that power file? I grind in a 45 degree angle on the edge of the blade, take off the burr from the other side, and I'm done. Make yep. sure the blade's balanced. That's it. Yep. Basically, I do the same exact thing, only I use a uh, belt sander in order to be able to the do actual, it. The actual full-size belt sander. Yep. I okay, use a because... belt sander, and I use the wheel on the end of it. with the. So normally, a belt sander sits totally flat. But what mm -hmm. I do is I leave mine in the halfway position so that I right. can take where the tip of it is I set my blade at 45 and I pull it back down the grinder. So the grinder pulls against me and then mm -hmm. that grinds down through. And then I take the blade and I set it totally flat on the backside in order to grind mm -hmm. the edge so that it's perfectly level. And mm -hmm. it takes me minutes to do what other people will sit there, you know, pissing, pissing around with the file, hours, pissing away time yeah. with the file. Like, I mean, I, I can literally do two blades in under 10 minutes at the very most and be able to get them totally level. Because the other thing that I do mm -hmm. is I have like a bolt that I'll have clamped to the side of the table and I set it on the bolt in between in order to figure mm -hmm. out whether it's level and then you're done. And Yep. I mean, why make it difficult? And the other uh... thing is... is 
Yeah, that's Anthem. Oh, it's got an it's got an <laughs> ego. It's electric with an ego with a forty-eight volt. Uh-huh. Yeah, but electric, all all electric. Yep. <laughs> Am I allowed to have a five-second electric rant here? Yeah. Yes, you may. I absolutely, totally can't stand the whole push for electric when it comes to living in the north. Because the problem is electric lithium batteries are based on a 40, uh, 40 degree range of creational use, which means that if you have a battery that is designed to work during the summertime, it has to be created to work between 40 degrees and 80 degrees. But if you put it in anything outside of that, you end up losing its capability. In fact, anything about 20 degrees outside of that you lose upwards of 35 to 40% of its capability. So everybody in northern northern areas, whatever, we buy all this crap that's electric that is incapable of working for four months of the year. Well, they continue to push the idea that we have to convert to electric. And now the latest thing is these electric snowblowers. And so they have an electric <laughs> snowblower. It's designed with a battery that only works during extreme cold temperatures, which means that for three and a half months is the only time you use it. It then proceeds to sit for nine months worth of rot and then proceeds to be dead the next year when you go to use it because it was never cycled and therefore it came out of balance and the BMSs get totally screwed and everything else. This whole entire battery-powered whatever just is utterly dumb. I'm so sick of it, and I've had enough of it. Okay, <laughs> you are talking to the right, right person yeah, because yeah. I am. I am anti-electric. I am completely I'm anti-electric. Not anti-electric. I am. I am anti-primary drive electric. Like Honda. Honda right now has a whole series of units they're coming out with, which are essentially an essentially a gas motor hooked up to a generator, and then all the other implements that are attached to it are actually electric drive, which makes sense because an electric motor is capable of more torque per size and faster spin up and everything else, but it is the battery that is your Achilles heel to the system. So not only that is the, is, is the battery, but well, my problem is, is that when it comes to actual real life usage, I have yet to see an electric motor that can output the torque for the length of time that I need without overheating or overloading. Oh, fully agree. Okay. Electric chainsaws okay. are a primary example of that. Okay, well, like in my world, I have the option of a battery or all-electric greens mower, right? Mm-hmm. But... Heaven help you if the turf grass that you're mowing with that uh, electric greens mower got just a little bit thick. Then you're out of 
the capacity of that motor whereas i use a uh what is that a toro gm 1000 and it has a you know four horsepower gear reduced uh kawasaki engine on it mm-hmm. that more will eat down overgrown grass as if it's not there no yeah okay i don't doubt it it'll 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 t- it'll take it down and it will do it without stalling complaining overheating or or otherwise you know causing issues because i'm watching biting my nails at the current uh, shed fire that's about to be lit over in california oh geez yeah Oh my God, the banning <laughs> of gas generators? Are you kidding me? If you tried to pull that crap here in Maine, every one of us would decide to go and burn the capital. I can't believe that. Like, like literally, I bet probably one in four households in the in the state of Maine has a gas generator because, I mean, I'm literally on the same exact side of the power grid as two schools, uh, two schools, a um, a hospital and everything else. And it is still mm-hmm. very common for me to go upwards of three to five days without electricity. It is not uncommon okay. for us to go five days. Could you imagine trying to survive on nothing but battery power in at negative 10 degrees for five days? Okay. Like, California has the opposite. <laughs> yeah. California has the opposite problem in that they're telling their people to survive 100-something degree temperatures with the frequent brownouts that they have and the blackouts that they have in California because if it gets hot and windy, what do they do in California? They shut off all the power. All the electric gets shut down. And, you know, that's just... uh, a shed fire <laughs> in the making. Yep. <laughs> Texas. They had the same issue in Texas. They ended up with the cold front and everything else, and they ended up having the electrical grid go down. Mm-hmm. Maine's not far from but, it. I'm thoroughly expecting it, that to start happening here soon. But it, but at least Texas doesn't have lawmakers that uh, are hell-bent on taking away everybody's generator. Then again, uh, if they tried that in Texas, people would be showing up at the Capitol with their guns. (laughs) Someone's going to get shot. (laughs) Yep. Same here in Maine. We figured that out during this whole pandemical thing when they ended up with a bunch of Mainers that walked out with guns to keep everybody off the islands. <laughs> All right, we are coming up on two hours here, so we're going to have to start running this down. Uh, a, a couple things. This show was sponsored by I Want Feature. If you've ever wanted to run EDDHA chelated iron, head on over to I Want Feature. JP, can you throw the link in there? Because I know it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a different link. And I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head, but I can't. Um, but anyway, feature feature iron six zero zero highly popular. 
been been slaying it and uh so if you're interested in trying that product uh shoot on over to oh here we go i want feature.square.site there it is there it is there it is and uh and yeah lo- uh, load up while you can because it won't be around for long i can promise you that um a couple other things here i had a mail bag and this is from michael caparino he said uh Popular turf varieties cool the environment, reduce runoff, slow erosion, and sequester carbon, but require regular deep watering, frequent gas or electricity-powered mower cutting, and periodic pesticide use. Because the turf industry is frequently targeted by environmentalists, should the newer, more resistant, less water-intensive, and lower-growing turf varieties be frequently uh, highlighted? Does the panel of members of the audience have experience with native grasses such as improved buffalo grass cultivars or with a plant-select variety called dog turf grass? Uh, should the grass factor develop a new friendlier you catch more flies with honey than vinegar show we're at another burn and return segment focused on this topic to enhance turf's environmental street cred um in some instances i kind of agree with you but in other instances i don't like for instance this dog tough uh grass is just a hybrid bermuda grass and there are actually uh, better hybrid bermuda grasses than the dog tough it's just dog tough has a creative piece of marketing behind it and no real science behind it. Um, and then our, uh, the other one you mentioned here is the, uh, the um, uh, Buffalo grass, you know, that's great for plains and low irrigation types areas. I'll tell you where it doesn't work is where you've got uh, high amounts of rainfall. So Buffalo grass in my areas, which is interesting. I just had a conversation with my County extension agent about Buffalo grass in particular. And he said it would never survive the summer summer because of, how wet its feet would remain through the course of the year. So um, you're limited to kind of the plain states in where that does exist. So, you know, if you're in a dry part of Kansas, Colorado, uh, something that sort with a little bit of a cooler climate, North Texas, um, then yeah, by all means, that's a, that's a great option for you. Now, the caveat to that is that there's not a lot of um, uh, 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 post-margin herbicide uh, options for that. And, Again, if you're going for purely aesthetic value, it's not there yet. That being said, there is a lot of research with our our current high-performing turf-type varieties uh, that are catching up, and that's why we're seeing these certifications for being, uh, uh, you know, endophyte enhanced or uh, high disease resistance or less water intensive. Um, you know, you're, you're getting these special characterizations now that are coming out and, you know, uh, people like Mountain View Seeds have been kind of pioneering that. It's just they're not marketing it from the standpoint of creating things like dog tough grass that has all these promises, uh, which in reality is uh, it's a it's a it's a African Bermuda grass hybrid. And we have hundreds of those already available to us under all kinds of different names. And even some of ours that are coming out of Tipton, Georgia right now are are genetically superior in every way in terms of green up uh, and how late it takes to go dormant because when we're talking about carbon sequestration, it requires green grass in order for that to take place, right? So don't get caught up necessarily because it's got a creative piece of marketing behind it. Actually understand what the cultivars are doing, their growth habits, and where they actually shine because the first premise that if we're going to correct this whole thing, a lot of it is making sure that we control the narrative and not allowing the marketing people that are that are putting these narratives out there that are insinuating that what we're doing is a negative thing. Don't give them the opportunity to, to control that message because like with dog tough grass here, sounds great, but in reality, it's a rather moderate middle of the road in terms of environmental friendliness. 
we already have stuff way better out there that's way uh, that's planted way more aggressively right now. Um, you can look at Diff Grand. You can look at Diff Tough. Um, all of those are going to be well Tahoma Thirty One. Tahoma Thirty One, the new Iron Cutter. Iron Cutter. Uh, yep. Latitude Thirty Six, Northbridge, all extremely superior in every which way in terms of envir- environmental friendliness, water re- requirements, uh, temperature tolerances than what Dog Tough is. So, um, don't buy the hype is what I'm getting at. Gentlemen, Neil, thank you so much for coming on and chopping up with us and shooting the shit with us. We really appreciate it. We wish you the best on your future journey. And uh, and we're going we're gonna to continue to check in with you from time to time because we want to see a 96-mile-an-hour mower come out of your garage. <laughs> and uh, and I don't know. If, if that is the case, we may have to take a trip up there and ride that bitch. Uh, and, yeah, I just... I don't know. I kind of want to be on a machine that goes 96 miles an hour. I, I think I've only gone 96 miles an hour in a car, maybe once or twice in my life. Tell everybody how they can find you, sir. Well, you can check me out in the link that's down below that JP added. Um, if you just Google redneck computer geek, I pretty much own that name as far as Google's concerned. So feel free to look me up. Uh, if you want to see the racing videos, you'll see that under RCG racing. Um, I'm going to be starting into ice racing season soon. Uh, We've got three new builds for ice racing season coming up. That starts usually about January. Um, So we do 35 miles per hour plus on ice on a lawn tractor. And that John Deere, that John Deere doing 35 miles per hour, I have a grand total of $180 into it. And most of that is just because I wanted that pretty little gas pedal. Um, so, I mean, seriously, if you want to learn how to do what I do, I cover all of it on the different channels. If you want to learn how to fix your own lawn tractors, I do the, I do the tractor hunts and everything all summer. You're welcome to come along for that. I'm building a custom van toy hauler. Um, it's a ship, it's a Ford E350 van being cut down in order to be a single cab and haul lawn tractors for the races and for doing the recoveries. Um, And you're welcome to go and come along and learn a little bit along the way. Um, I got the Facebook page and we also run a mud mower dedicated group. If you'd like to find that too. That is incredible. Again, kudos to you and I wish you nothing but success. We will follow up with you. Uh, everybody else at home, uh, head on over to Dirty Deeds and uh, y'all have a good one. <laughs>